Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor, and it is great to welcome you. Good morning to you. All of you in the cafe worship service, all of you in Perry, Oklahoma, and anybody else anywhere joining us in this worship service by audio or video, we love you, and, and we're honored that you would choose uh, to, to participate with us in this way. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let me just say one thing. Uh, I have set aside the, the coming week for prayer set this in, entire week aside for prayer for you. Uh, often as pastor, I feel inadequate. Uh, I feel like I'm uh, not always adequate to the task of being a shepherd for this, this flock. But the least I can do is pray for all of you, and I, and I promise to do that, and, and I try to all the time. But this week especially, I've set aside just to pray for you. Uh, so understand, I will be praying for you personally this week. I will call your name before the Lord and your children and, uh, and your wife and your husband and, and, and all the way down the list. I, I love you and I want to be faithful to you and I think that's the most faithful thing I can do. I say that so that you will communicate with me this week. If you have special prayer requests for you or your family, uh, and I really want to just pray for, for, for the flock that I'm, in, uh, I'm responsible to care for. Uh, so if you would, uh, don't send me all the prayer requests for people that you know in Hawaii and uh, in Florida. Uh, I, I love those people too, but I don't have time. Uh, this week, I want to pray for you all. I want to pray for you well. Uh, so please, if you will give me your prayer requests, the ways that you uh, would like to be lifted up and the ways that I, I can pray for you as your pastor. Now, if you're in the room and, and you're not a member of Woodburn Baptist Church, I love you too, and I'll pray for you too, uh, but you're probably going to have to give me your name on a slip of paper or, or some other way because I will just flat, uh, I, I will pray through my iPhone list and that happens to be every member of this church. So again, I want to pray for all of you. So I'm not excluding at all those of you who attend this church and, and may or may not be on the, on the official list. You're in my heart officially, so I want to pray for you too. I'm just saying if you'll slip me prayer requests, you can lay them on my desk today or slip them in my hand or email me at timharris at woodburnbaptist.org. Uh, you can text me, you can Facebook me, you can tweet me, smoke signals, uh, wh whatever you choose to do. Uh, it is uh, not a joke. It's, it's a very, very serious week for me, and, uh, and I will be before the Lord on your behalf as your pastor. So. Uh, Help me do that well. Matthew chapter 4. Let's turn right to uh, this portion of the Gospels and uh, go back to where it all began. This is it. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 is where we'll start. From then on, from then on, uh, we're talking about the place where John the Baptist has been arrested. So John the baptizer is no longer doing his ministry. And it's from that point on, it says, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus began to preach, and Jesus said, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them too. He said to come. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. 
Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, Jesus healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went, people from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him. When I uh, first started Western Kentucky University years ago, I was an art major. Uh, Go art. Uh, (laughs) I know, nerd alert. Uh, art major. <laughs> no. I, I'd been warned about college. Uh, of course, growing up Baptist, Baptists are always kind of anti-education, or at least they were back in my day. So Baptists kind of always preferred ignorance over education. And so uh, I was often warned about school and how there would be horrible teachers and atheist teachers who would try to ruin my faith. And, and uh, I was sort of geared up for that and ready for that. Um, I remember really early on, one of, one of my professors was doing a lecture, and, and one of my fellow students was answering a question, and in the question, she just made a reference to the Garden of Eden. I don't even remember what she said or what the topic was, but this, this, this freshman girl at Western just mentioned the Garden of Eden, and as soon as the words left her mouth, my professor barked back, the Garden of Eden is a myth! The girl who said the Garden of Eden and the girl to whom the the professor barked, um, she just silently cried through the rest of that class. She just silently cried. And I remember thinking, I want to talk to that professor about Jesus. I just really wanted to talk to my professor about Jesus. Now, I didn't know how that was going to happen, and I didn't know when or where or what. I I just remember thinking, I really want to have... A conversation with, with with this professor. This was an atheist professor. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful professor. Let me say that. And, and I really did grow to love this woman, and I still do. Uh, but she was definitely an atheist. Uh, over time, I, I continued to try to get to know her, and I had her for several classes. And, and again, I, I loved her. She inspired me in a, in a million ways. I, as I began just to learn about her, I realized that she was raised in the Catholic Church, and there's n- nothing negative to say there, although her experience was very negative. She said that she was raised by existentialist nuns. You don't have to know what that is. I don't know what that is. Existentialist nuns who at one point when, when she was a girl, they, they forced her to crawl to crawl up a long aisle of a church and to weep for her sins. The nuns made her crawl on the ground and weep for her sins. Apparently, her experience in the church was just so negative that it really made her have kind of a hatred for Christians. I picked up on that. It didn't make me more eager to talk to her, I'll say that, but I still felt like I wanted to. Finally, after some period of time, I'm talking probably a couple of years, um, there were a group of us uh, art students uh, at our house. We watched a a really great art film called Koyaanisqatsi, and at the end of the film, everybody left, and somehow I was the last one still there, just me and the professor. And uh, I don't know how it happened. I honestly don't remember now. I don't remember how the conversation turned, but we started talking about Jesus. 
It was amazing. I don't even know how to explain it to you. It, it was one of the most engaging and, and fascinating conversations about Jesus I've ever had. She's an atheist now. I, I want you to remember that. She was an atheist. In the middle of our conversation, her husband came home. He was a scientist, also an atheist. He walked in the room and she said, oh, honey, please come sit down. Tim's talking about Christianity. Yeah, it was just like that. Please come sit down. Tim's talking about Christianity. And they both, he just came and sat down. I don't know how to explain that. Two atheists who were actually very eager to have a conversation about Jesus with me. And they were very curious and they were very engaged. They had excellent questions and they actually had a pretty good grasp of Christianity. Who knew? I suppose in my life I should talk to more atheists. Recently, a man named Larry Alex Taunton talked to atheists. He did a rather large research project and published his findings. He, he just wanted to talk to atheists and find out what it was that made them tick, what it was that made them so adamant, public, and vocal about their unbelief. His, his findings are actually pretty disturbing for me as, as a man of the church. Interesting. He, his, his sample group were college students because college students are, are sort of easy to, uh, to isolate and study. And, and, and in order to find the atheists on college campuses, he simply went to the atheist groups. And if you don't know, there are large atheist groups on, on campuses now. So he went to those and he asked atheist students, those who were public and vocal and active in the atheist groups to, uh, to, to answer some questions for him. And, and that's how he did his research. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. The, the most amazing thing that you learn from hearing from all of those university student atheists is that almost every single one of them became an atheist after having spent time in church. Okay, I want you to let that sink in. Most of them became atheists after having spent some period of, of their lives in church. And what he very quickly discovered, and what I feel like I'm discovering in my life talking to real people is, is, is very simply this. In the world, Jesus is popular. People are engaged with Jesus. They're interested in Jesus. They're always fascinated by his life. People usually have a certain kind of drawing toward Jesus. Jesus is popular, but the church is not. Jesus is popular, but the church is not. It's very difficult for some of us to have to recognize, but, but the bottom line is we who call ourselves Christians and we who are ourselves the church, we have converted more people to atheism than we possibly can imagine. We have turned them off. And in many cases, they assume that it's Jesus that they have rejected, but it's not Jesus that they have rejected. It's the church that they have rejected. Very famous quote by a man named Karl Rahner, and this quote's been, uh, been repeated by many others. Karl Rahner was the first to say this. The number one cause of atheism is Christians. The number one cause of atheism is Christians. He goes on. Those who proclaim him with their mouths and deny him with their actions is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. 
The number one cause of atheism is Christians, those who proclaim him with their mouths and deny him with their actions. That is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Number one cause of atheism, Christians. Come back to the scripture with me, Matthew chapter four. If we've messed it up, then let's somehow go back to the beginning. Let's look at Jesus. If it's about Jesus, then what is it about him? Matthew chapter four, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, Jesus preached and Jesus had a message for people and, and it was about sin. That's interesting because we often feel like, well, you know, it's, it's all this preaching about sin that turns people off. No, that's not exactly what turns people off. Jesus preached about sin and they flocked to hear him talk about sin. You understand that? So it's not so much the message, there's something about the messenger. And when Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, people received that as good news. That, my friend, was good news when Jesus said it. When you and I come out with it, somehow it turns into bad news. But when Jesus preached, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, that was good news. Honestly, the, the, the message of repentance, the, the, the very pointed and personal message that you have to be separated from your sins somehow in order to be in a right relationship with God, that's not bad news. That, that's good news. Most people in the world are fully aware of their sin. You like to remind them of it, and sometimes you just love, you just can't stop thinking about other people and their sins, but honestly, they usually know. Most people have a pretty good handle on everything broken and everything somehow that, that, that is twisted in their lives, they know, and they do want to be separated from it. By our own experience, we all recognize that sin destroys that we have habits and hurts and hang-ups and we have secrets that must be kept. And many, many of us, we simply can't stand the sight of ourselves in the mirror. We understand sin. We understand how it separates us from other people. We understand how it separates us from the God who made us. We know sin. We live sin. And we are powerless to escape it. We are powerless to change ourselves. So when Jesus comes with the message of turning from our sins, that's good news. Everybody wants that. Everybody needs that. It's interesting. One of the young women that, that, that Larry Alex Taunton writes about, the atheist young woman, one of the things that, that she says was this. That one of the things that turned her to atheism was the fact that at church, the connection between Jesus and a person's life was never clear. In church, the connection between Jesus and a person's life, it, it was never made clear. There's a whole lot we don't manage to make clear. But, but the connection between Jesus and your life is the fundamental principle of Christianity. That the connection between Jesus and your life. That's what made me an atheist, she said. I never got that connection. Well, if you notice when Jesus preaches, it connects. It connects directly. Jesus goes to where people are and he preaches the same message to every single person. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. It is not far away. 
God is not off in heaven somewhere sitting on a giant chair, stroking his long white beard as far away from you as, as heaven and from earth. That is not what Jesus proclaims. He says the kingdom of heaven is near, is near. When Jesus preached, he, he would say things like this. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like it's like a treasure that a man finds buried in a field. And when he finds it, he goes and he sells everything he has to come back and buy that field. He, to, to own that treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like that, he says. Isn't that amazing? It's like the kingdom of heaven is a treasure that's buried in the field of your everyday life. The field of your everyday life, it's just there. And, and once you find it in your everyday life, then... Everything is forever changed. You'll, you'll leave your old life just in order to live a life where you can value what suddenly you understand is most valuable. The kingdom of heaven is, like, is a treasure like that or, or like a pearl, a, a pearl of great price that suddenly is just found in the, in the course of a man's everyday life or, or it's like leaven that, that's put in an everyday lump of bread. Do you understand the point here? That the kingdom of God, the, the reign of God, God's majestic throne is not somewhere far away. It's supposed to be right in the middle of your everyday life. The kingdom of heaven is near. He's come near. And then not far away. Maybe one of the reasons we suggest to people that God is somehow far away is that honestly, it's better for us if he is, or at least in our minds, if God is actually going to be near us, if the kingdom of heaven is going to be near me, then all of a sudden, God's going to be all up in my business. So we sort of prefer, and maybe we just intentionally keep it far away. Maybe that's why when people come to church with us, they don't ever get the connection between Jesus and, and everyday life because we don't connect Jesus with everyday life. It's tragic. We don't connect Jesus with everyday life. We connect Jesus with church life. It's an amazing and devastating kind of bait and switch. Where on the one hand we proclaim Jesus, but what we give people is church. And they are not the same thing. If you come back to Jesus' preaching, he never once invites people to church. You understand? As a matter of fact, I don't even think he planted one in his life. Jesus doesn't go out preaching that everybody needs to come to church. Jesus goes out to where the people are, and he says what? Follow me. Follow me. It was about Jesus. Jesus' message was about himself, about himself. Jesus, it was in the man Jesus that God had come near to the world. It was in Jesus. But we have managed to turn this message of Jesus into a message about church. And this is what an unbelieving world has simply rejected. They don't want to come to church. They've been to church, most of them, and they've already decided that there's nothing here for them. And we have to face that. In a recent massive survey of religion in the state of Kentucky, the survey group had to invent a new word for Kentuckians. And the new word was de-churched. Invented a new word, de-churched. Because you can't say they're churched. That means they go to church. And you can't really say they're unchurched because most of the people in Kentucky anyway have been to church and then dropped out for good. And so we call them de-churched. 
You need to understand that the message of the gospel is not simply a message about coming to church. This is the great mistake that many of you have made in your own lives. You call yourself a Christian, but you have never in your life made a genuine commitment to Christ. You are not a follower of Christ, not with your life life, maybe with your church life, but you've got to understand church life is, is fictitious. If you're somebody different here in this house on Sunday morning than the person you're going to be at work tomorrow, then you're living a lie. But you're the only one that seems to believe it. The people at work know who you are. Your family knows who you are. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. You sit in church somehow and you imagine that you're a Christian, that you're okay. But all you have done is just leave your life exactly as it is and then just stir in a little bit of church. You live your life like hell Monday through Saturday and then you think that if you come to church on Sunday, you've made everything okay. This is not the message of Jesus. Not in any place, not in any shape, not in any form. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water. They fished for a living and Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. That's what it looks like. You have an encounter with Jesus. The, the living Lord Jesus. And that encounter disturbs your life in such a way where you can, you would have to say, I'm not even the same person anymore. But before I met Jesus and after I met Jesus, I'm, I'm a totally different person. Th this is what the Christian message is about. When you meet Jesus, th there is a change, a, a definite change. There is a leaving of an old life, a leaving of the old way that you used to think, a, a leaving of the way you used to relate to people. There's a, a leaving of all of your old sins and all your old habits and, and, and a leaving behind of the life where you had to keep a lot of secrets. It's just gone. That life is gone. You leave that and now you follow Jesus. You understand? You have your life. There's something you're moving toward. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the, the good news. It's good news. When Jesus preaches it, it's good news. And he healed every kind of disease and illness and news about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to Jesus all who were sick, whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, Jesus healed them all. Large crowds follow him. I understand what I mean when I say that Jesus is popular, it's the church that's not. Maybe it's because we're no longer known for spreading good news. When Jesus preached, it was good news, and people flocked to hear it. I'm afraid that much of what we proclaim doesn't come out like good news anymore. As a matter of fact, if you listen to atheists, if you listen to those who have rejected our message, they'll usually tell you that they're tired of the church just being against everything. They're very, very familiar with everything that we're against because every time one of us has a TV camera in our face, we're telling the world what we're against. 
but we have stopped telling people what we're for. We've stopped lifting up the name of Jesus. We've stopped lifting up the gospel, the good news of Christ. All we've got anymore is bad news. And the world hears that, and the world's turned away from that. Whenever the good news of Jesus is lifted up, people run to that because they long to hear it. But because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is genuinely good news, it's not just a message. It's not just ideas, religious ideas. It's power. It's the promise of a changed life. People would bring anybody they knew that needed help because Jesus would help them all. He didn't turn anybody away in whatever way they were weird or or sick or, or afflicted or broken. If you could just get them to Jesus, they would be made whole. When is it that the message about Jesus stopped being about bringing people that needed help to him so they could be made whole? When is it that the church somehow stopped being a place where broken people could come together in their brokenness and find wholeness through Jesus? When is it that we stop being for Jesus and somehow just against everything that we can possibly name? When did the preaching cease to be good news? When we stopped talking about Jesus, do you understand? Whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, Jesus healed them all. There's power, power in Jesus. Not just ideas, not just a message, not just about learning more Bible facts. There's power to change your life. You don't have to be the same person anymore. You don't have to live in your brokenness and in your illness. You do not have to live with your affliction. You do not have to live in in darkness. There is light, there is life, there is healing in Jesus. There's power and promise in Jesus. People will still come to hear that. It's the message that the world longs to hear. One young man that and interviewed said this it's atheist Christianity is something that if you really believed it he does it but understand Christianity is something if you really believed it it would change your life and you'd want to change the lives of others I haven't seen too much of that it's an atheist talk Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life and you would want to change the lives of others. I haven't seen too much of that. Do you get what he's saying? Because I feel like I hear in what he's saying, if I could see some of that, I would probably be drawn to that. But what he sees is a world of people who claim to be Christians who don't seem to believe a word of it. He's talking about you and me. In our lives, we don't seem to believe a word of it. There's a lot of alarm in the world these days, in the United States these days, over what seems to be the growing number of atheists. And there are more and more people every single day who will publicly admit that that they have no belief, that they they are atheists. That number is growing. But but look closely at all the statistics coming out because there is another segment of the population in the United States. It's a religious group, I guess you could say. But they're growing faster than anybody. 
they're growing faster than the atheists and faster than the true believers, faster than Christians or, or, or any other kind of religious group. There's one group, and it's kind of the dirty secret of, of religion in America. The largest number, largest number of, of, of a group growing in our population is a group you would call the spiritually apathetic. Not atheist, but not believers either. They just don't care. It's just whatever, so what? The largest number of, the, the, the largest group that's growing in the United States when you talk about religion is just the people who just flat out don't care. And our churches are filled with them. Our churches are filled with We've got to be honest enough to say that. Churches are not always filled with, 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 with diligent and devoted followers of Jesus. Churches are often filled with people who only seem to care one day of the week on Sunday. So guess what? If you talk to atheists, they're really not asking for less Christianity. They're not. What they're asking for is a vital, honest, powerful movement of it. When are they going to see that? Well, when Christians like you and me get serious. When Jesus walked people flocked to him they flocked to hear the message that he would preach and there was power in it and there was life change in it somehow when you and I preach it it doesn't come across that way so let me say this to you let me first to any of you in this house who, who may be on the line Obviously, the, the largest number of, of the atheists, they say, I actually do spend some time in church. So maybe I have an opportunity to speak to someone in this room today who's about to walk away, about to just give up and, and say that there's no God and I believe none of it. Let me just say before you go, please make sure, before you make up your mind about God and about the Christian message, make sure that you understand the Christian message. We're not asking you to make a decision about this church. The gospel of Jesus is, is, is not necessarily about this church. I know that often your Christian friends have approached you, but by just inviting you to church as if that's all they had to do. And, and honestly, in, in your life, church has never turned you on. If the church is just a place to come and be with people, there are obviously better places to go be with people. And, and I'm a pastor, but if I want to just go be with people, I want to go somewhere where there's, you know, drink refills and, and a nacho bar. Dancing. I mean, you know, there are better parties in town than this one. I mean, nothing against any of you. But if you're talking to lost people, you say, oh, you'll love our church. You'll just love our church. What if they don't? What if the only thing you've ever given them is just an invitation to church? They're going to walk in here, look at all of us and think, good night. You know, are those people, are they, are they having a good time because they're crazy? Do you understand? Because to, to a non-believer, to a non-spiritual person, church won't make sense. 
Church is a body of Christ coming together. This is the place where all of us who follow Christ with our lives, we come together so that we can serve him in a much greater way together. But, but if you don't know Jesus, church isn't going to make sense. I mean, it's good that you invite people to church, but, but please, please, if that's all you ever say, then if they don't like our church, they assume they don't like Jesus either. We have to bring them to Jesus. We have to talk about Jesus. They have to know that the decision about salvation, the decision about faith or not faith, that that decision has to do with Jesus, not church. And you can't possibly preach this message in such a way where they think if they just come to church like you, then that's going to make them okay because it hasn't made you okay yet. If you're okay or I'm okay, it has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us, nothing to do with the time we've spent soaking in this place. It's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus. So my friend, before you walk away from this place, understand th- that the message that we're trying to proclaim so inadequately and the message that our lives continue to contradict so horribly, that message is the message of Jesus, the Son of God, the living Christ who absolutely died, was crucified, and came back from the dead. Yes, you've got to be willing to believe that. You've got to believe that he lives, that he lives in such a way where he speaks and calls out to you in the everydayness of your life, not just your church life, your life life. And when you come to know him and when you hear his voice and understand his claim upon your life, it changes everything. Please don't simply make your decision based on the human beings you see around the church. Take a good long look at Jesus and then decide. Now, what about the rest of us? Carl Rahner says that the number one reason for atheists is Christian. He's talking about us. What about the growing number of people in the United States that are spiritually apathetic? Would that be you? I mean, honestly, do you just yawn through every single church service? Do you just go through your whole life with sort of a so what attitude when it comes to religious things and and you call yourself a Christian? Think about the sin in your life. If Jesus, is the, the first word of his message was repent, if Jesus preached a message where people had to be separated from their sins, then just look at your own life. Are, are you separating? Are you continuing to grow further and further away from the woman you used to be, the man you used to be? Are you still struggling w- w- with sins? In your life, are there a whole lot of secrets that you have to keep? Because that's usually a bad sign. Are there things that you have to keep from your spouse, from your wife? Are there, are, are there things you hope your church friends never, ever find out about you? Do you understand? This is a horrible sign for the integrity of your faith. There should be a, a separation, a, a holiness about our lives when we have come to know Jesus. Is that true for you? Do the people who will see you at school tomorrow know the person that that we know here at church on Sunday, or will you become a very different guy out on the football field or on the cheerleading squad or wherever you go? Will the people at work have any idea of the person that your pastor thinks you are? What about about love? Jesus said, this is how everybody will know you're my disciples, uh, because you'll love. You have love for one another and for people. 
In other words, if you really want to look at the integrity of your faith, you can look at relationships. How easy is it for you to forgive people? Because if you've experienced the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, typically that's just going to flow right through you. You won't be a person who goes through life holding grudges. You can't. You can't. It blocks the flow of mercy in and through you. You, you can't be a Christian. It's what the scriptures say. This is how you'll know that, that you're my disciples if you have love, patience, and kindness, and forgiveness. You understand? If you're that person that can't get along with anybody, you don't get along with people at church, you can't get along with your spouse, you can't get along with people at work, then there's really something spiritually wrong with you. Relationship problems are always spiritual problems. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, if, if, if anyone is going to know God, then they have to walk as Jesus walked. So I guess that's the test right there. The, the life you live, is, could you say that it's a, it's a life like Jesus lived? Because when you know him, there's a transformation that takes place. And day by day, you're becoming more and more like him. Who are you becoming more and more like every day if it's not Jesus? If you call yourself a Christian and the answer is anything except Jesus, then there's something profoundly wrong in your heart. The odd thing is when you uh, talk to atheists, you find out that many of them have a better sense of what's at stake. Many of them have a better sense of what it would mean to be a believer. Many of them actually seem much, much closer to real belief than many of us who claim to believe. Some of us live more like atheists. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Pray with me. Jesus, we long to lift you up. We simply want to disappear behind you. As church people, good Lord, it's horrifying to think that we actually might be driving people away from you by our hypocrisy, by our falseness, by living lives as if we were non-believers. Lord Jesus, I pray that when people see us, they see you in us. Pray that when they see you in us, there will be something contagious and irresistible about the message, the gospel that transforms our lives. I pray, Jesus, that sharing our faith wouldn't be such a chore because we will be sharing our life itself, something vital, something important, something real, something that brings us such joy and peace. We can't imagine not sharing it with the world. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would live out the gospel in such a way where non-believers would understand that Jesus, you're all that they seek, all that they need. Lord, I pray for spiritually apathetic Christians in this church. Help us, Lord. Help us to catch fire. Help us to do a profound search of our own hearts. Help us, Lord, 
to leave everything and follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.